Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Science of the Covenant, also known as Psychov, on this glorious Holy Shabbat. Uh, before we get started, as always, want to give praises to the Most High, Yah and His Son, Yahusha, who died for us and shed His blood for all of our sins. Uh, before we get, also get started, we will be taking a few weeks off. We've been having some technical difficulties, so it's going to take a few weeks for us to get those things corrected. We hope to be back before the end of June. If you want to know for sure when we will be back, please send us an email and we will email you an alert when we are fully back. But we hope to be back hopefully by June the 25th of June. But again, we will be having to take a few off because of some figure out some technical difficulties. But hopefully we will be back by June the 25th. So we continue on as we studying with the pastor on the mark of the beast. So, pastor, what are we going to be dealing with today as far as the mark of the beast? OK, we're going to continue with the mark of the beast, but we're going to connect it with the the mark and then we're going to have the name and the number. Or we have the mark, the number, and the name. Because oftentimes when we study the mark, it be somebody studies kind of isolated. We just study the mark okay. and uh, deal with Sunday keeping. But we want to see how that uh, correlates with also the name and the number. All of those have a correlation, and we want to look at that today. So if we were to entitle our study today, it would be the mark, the name, and the number. Okay, so that's where we will continue on uh, on this particular discourse. So before we get started, let us uh, have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for another Shabbat that we can come together, O Heavenly Father, to be able to discuss your word for a portion of the day. And as we go through the entire day, that we may be able to reflect upon the things, Lord, that we've been taught. And also to be able to visualize and to be able to see that the Sabbath is a day that is used to be able to reflect and to give you glory and to look back and see how you have led us. And as we come together each Sabbath, O Heavenly Father, we recognize that you are the creator of the universe, the heavens and the earth and all mankind. So now, Father, as we go into the study again, we ask that you would augment our minds with the power of the Holy Spirit, baptize our minds, O Heavenly Father, in the blood of Yeshua. His head was, had a crown of thorns put upon it, which was our head of ignorance, O Heavenly Father, that put us there, put his head there. So as we exchange our mind for his mind, as the scripture says, let this mind be in you that was in the Messiah, Yeshua. So as we have his mind, give us the interpretation of your word that we can properly be able to see it, that in these last days, we can prepare ourselves for the coming of the Messiah and find ourselves doing the things that he has taught us to do. These blessings and others we ask in Yeshua's name and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, our first scripture that we want to turn to uh, is found here in... Revelation chapter 17, uh, as we look at Revelation 17, we want to look at, I mean, Revelation 13, but we want to look at verses 17 and 18. Okay, Revelation 
chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 17 and 18, and here it reads, it says, And that no man may be, might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So here, what we're dealing with is, we're dealing with the mark, the name, and the number of the beast. So as we uh, hear in this passage of Scripture, it speaks of the mark of the beast, the name of the beast, and the number of the beast. So these are the three elements that we want to kind of focus in on in this particular discourse. As I've stated, traditionally, many have looked at the mark, uh, they have looked at the mark, the name, and the number separately according to some of the extant manuscripts, the mark of the beast and the name of the beast aren't either or, but rather they are the same. So when we look at some of the ancient manuscripts of this text, it says the name and the mark, they, they are the same. So when we look at the mark and the name are synonymous. Now, when we look in the scriptures and in, in, uh, here in the 13th chapter, it says the mark or the name, but originally that was not the, the, the mark or the name. Uh, they are considered to be one. John saw in vision the name of the beast. Consequently, the mark he saw was also the beast's name. So when you had the name, you had the mark, and when you had the mark, you had the name. Now, to verify this, we read in Revelation chapter 11, I mean, Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, and in the latter part of this verse, it says, uh, it says, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, so there it is there. It doesn't say the, the mark or the name, it said the mark of his name. So apparently the biblical scholars, when they wrote um, the 17th verse, uh, they would not take it, they had divided in such a way to leave the average reader that the mark and the number was different, but we are finding here that the name and the mark are one and in, in the same. So as we've read in in verse 11 of the 14th chapter, he says, whosoever receives the mark of his name. So this word or should read, and let no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark of his name. Okay, the mark of his name. So when we look at that, we want to be able to, to see that the mark involves also his, his, his name. So what John saw was the mark, the name of the beast. The mark he saw was the beast's name. The mark is the name of the beast, and the beast's name is the mark. We know that the beast which came up out of the sea was the old world, and the old world was Europe. It came up out of the sea. Now, according to biblical prophecy, sea means people. 
The Bible brings it out. C means people. In other words, that this beast came up out of a populated area, and the populated area in which it is speaking of was the area of Europe, the old Europe that the beast came up out of this particular uh, part of Europe. So when we look at the fact that the old world was Europe, which was uh, the waters that this beast came up out of, so when we read in Revelation uh, chapter 13 and we look at verse 1, uh, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Okay, so now when we look at the symbolism of this particular passage, it is talking about a sea, it is talking about beasts with seven heads and ten horns. But if we would translate this in, in, into his literal sense, from the symbolic sense, it would read, it said, and John stood upon the sand, it, and John stood upon the shore of the, of the European nation or the European empire, because that's what seas represents people, and that was Europe. So it was said that John stood upon the shore of <clears throat> Europe, that's, that's the old world, Europe, and he saw, and the word beast deals with the empire, and the empire that was coming up in Europe, which was the sea, was the Roman Catholic Church. So it would read thusly, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw the Roman Catholic Church rise up out of Europe, having, uh, having successive kingdoms or empires, and, and it had ten authorities or powers, and upon his authorities, ten crowns, which would be universal kings, and upon his authority or his empire, the name of blasphemy. So what we see here is that there's a lot of symbolisms that are here, but we said that the sea represents Europe, and the beast represents the Roman Catholic Church, and the horns and the crowns and the heads represents empires or rulers. Now, when we uh, know that the beast which came up out of the sea was Europe, and then it speaks about a beast uh, in verse 11 of the same 13th chapter, a beast which came out of the earth, and when we uh, exegete that, and when we go back to the history, we find that this beast that came up out of the earth was coming up out of a land that was not as heavy populated as Europe. So they say it come up out of the earth because it was sparsely populated. It didn't have uh, the volumes of people that it had over in Europe at this time because it was a developing nation. So when we look at the beast that was coming up out of the earth, that was the United States of America. So one came out of the sea, which was old Europe, and this was coming out of the earth, which is the United States in its early embryonic stages. So the mark of the beast is a pseudo-sabbath, and the beast's name is the USA. 
And when we use look at the United States, it was saying it was a beast like a lamb, which meant that it had Christian attributes and it had two horns, which would meant that it would have be a religious and a political power. And eventually this religious and political power would go to govern this land. And eventually what would happen as they govern the land, they would gather all of the Protestant churches to make an image to the beast. And when the Protestant churches make an image of the beast, they would pass in the legislative halls that all would have to worship like they want them to worship. And this is one of the reasons why the Protestants came to America in the first place, because Europe's authority was telling them that they had to worship a certain way. So they came under America so they could have a religious freedom. But we're going to find that the nation that they have come for religious freedom will be the same nation that turns around and put them in bondage again and say that they have to worship the way that the Roman Catholics want them to worship under the Pope. And as a result, they would pass laws to be able to make them worship, just like they persecuted them in the old country. Persecution is going to revisit this country because they're going to say you cannot buy or sell unless you had the mark of the beast. And moreover, they would go so far as in Congress is to make a law and the law that they would make is that nobody can buy or sell, say thee that has the mark of the beast. And if they did not receive the mark, they also will pass a law in Congress that you would be in violation of their laws and they would make it a death decree to go against Rome. That has not started yet. That is something in the future. When the United States government put into law that it's a death decree if we do not make Sunday worship that a part of our life, and as a result of that, we'll have the death decree. And when that death decree is put into position, when that death decree is made law, a Sunday law, then that's when the persecution will begin. When they try to make it a law that we have to keep Sunday and to disregard the Seventh-day Sabbath, and that it becomes a law, then Elohim's people would have to get ready for a time of persecution and confusion all over this nation because of the fact that when they make the law, it's going to be comfortable for them, but it's going to be uncomfortable for those who want to follow the true laws that Elohim has given. Moreover, in addition to the mark of Sunday keeping and in the name of you, the U.S., there is also a number that goes along with Sunday keeping. And the USA or the United States of America. So let us now consider the number that the, U, the USA will have, the number. Now, when we read, let's go back to the scriptures. When we read in Revelation, Chapter 13, we'll this time concentrate on what we call the, uh, the number. Uh, we want to go to Revelation chapter 13, and we want to look at the 18th verse. And he, here it says, it says, here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beasts, 
for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score and six. Okay, now uh, the Bi- Now uh, the Bible says here. He said, "Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beasts." For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred and three score and six. Now, here in this text, it is point it it, it is pointed out at least two basic things we should have if we are to de- have the discernment of what this number is, there's two things we need in order to understand what this number is. It said those two things are what the Bible says in the beginning of verse 18 of the 13th chapter of Revelation, it says, here's wisdom. So in order to understand this, it says you're going to have to have wisdom. What What is the second thing we need? The Bible says, let him that has understanding. So you have to have understanding. These are the two basic things you need in order to understand the number of the beast. It said, he is wisdom. Okay, you got to have wisdom. Let him that has understanding. So if you got wisdom, you're going to have to understand what you're reading. Okay. And he says, you got to have wisdom and understanding. Now, moreover, when you read in Revelation uh, chapter 17, and, and we read, in the 17th chapter of Revelation, and we read verse number 9, it tells us, it says, in Revelation 17, 9, it says, and here is the man which has wisdom. So in other words, in order to interpret a lot of this stuff, uh, you're going to have to have, we we, we have to have a, a degree of wisdom. Okay. So it appears that these prophecies dealing with the end time events require some intelligence from those of us who are trying to interpret them. So we have to have wisdom and understanding. We have to have a mind to do that. And to understand the number of the beast requires both wisdom and understanding. So what is the wisdom and the understanding we need in order to properly be enlightened of the number of the beasts. Now we know the beast, we know the beast is the empire that came up in the waters of Europe. That's what the beast is. So the beast is a kingdom or empire and that empire was the Roman Catholic church that came up in, in, in Europe and other, uh, areas of the the Middle East. Now, notice that there are three steps we are given from the verse itself, which gives us some clues as to the number of the beast. And we refer to this part of our study as the decoding of the number of the beast. And we are called it decoding the beast number. How do we decode the beast number? Okay, now according to the scripture itself, it gives us these three clues. These three clues. 
Now, the first step in decoding the number uh, is the Bible says, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. So the first thing we do have to do, the first step, is counting the number of the beast or the number of the empire, because that's what the beast means, an empire. We got to count the number of the empire, number one. And the second uh, step we are given is the decoding of the number that is that of a man, okay? Okay, so what it's saying is, the second step outside of counting the number, it said, for it is the number of a man. Okay, so we got to find out who the man is, okay? And we know the man is the one that heads the religion, and the religion was the Roman Catholic Church that is headed by the Pope. So the man is the Pope, okay? So these, these steps here. And then the third step, it says... Once you find out the man, he said, and his number is 603 score and six. So the third step we are given is that we are given uh, the total, okay, the total account of the number. So it is these three steps which would be instrumental in helping us to properly apply the number of the beast to the person who is behind this number. Consequently, we are to have wisdom and understanding and to count the number of the beasts. And in order to count the number of the beast, we have to know who is the beast or who the beast is. And once we find out who the beast is, then we are told that the number is that of a man, and whosoever the man is, his number is 603 score and six. So those three things are what we're going to concentrate on in trying to identify the beast's the, who the beast is, what his number is, and what his name. Okay, so we own his name. Now we know that the steps in attaining the number of the beast, let us trace it down now. So let us trace it down. We will start by first identifying who the beast is. In this 13th chapter, of the book of Revelation, it speaks about three beasts. And of these three, which one has the number of a man, which is 603 score and six. So let us briefly go over these three beasts. The first beast was the beast which came up out of the sea. We must not confuse this with a sea beast. It's not a sea beast. It isn't a sea creature. It is a beast which came up out of the sea. So let's not say the sea creature. It came out of the sea, which would the first beast coming up out of the sea is being described as in three parts, respectively. Okay, so when we turn to the 13th chapter of, of uh, Revelation, and we look at this first beast, 
It describes us in three parts, respectively. It describes his head, his heads, his body, and his feet. So let us look at each part. So when we look at Revelation chapter 1, it describes this beast coming up out of the sea. It says uh, of his heads, it said, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon the horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blaspheme. So it describes the first part of the beast, and it describes his heads, okay? So when we look at the seven heads and the ten horns upon his horns and ten crowns and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Okay, so all of the all of the heads, all of the heads of the beast, all of the head, all of the seven heads, they had on them uh, blasphemy. Okay, and then it goes on in verse two to describe the body. It said, "And the beast which I saw was like unto a leper." Okay, so. He said his body was like uh, was like unto a leopard. So it had seven heads, and then it got a body that looked like a leopard. And then the last thing it describes about it is the feet of the beast. Now his feet were as the feet of a bear. So it's saying he had the feet of a bear. So we see his head, his body, and his feet. Okay, now that was the first beast. Now the second beast, there is... Uh, uh, the second beast that we see, not necessary in a certain order, but the second beast that we see in the Revelation chapter 13, it says here uh, in the second chapter, it says, after it speaks about the feet of the bear, it says, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. That's just talking about, you know, his head. It is said, and the dragon gave him his power. Okay, so... He said the, the second beast we're looking at is the dragon. And the dragon beast, which was mentioned prior to chapter 13 and chapter 12, it was also mentioned, the dragon. So we have the dragon beast. So we have the beast coming out of the sea, and we have the dragon beast. And if you read Revelation 12, 1, uh, not, yeah, well, Revelation 12, and we deal with the dragon beast, it is spoken of, and it appeared in verse 3, and he said, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. So we see that the dragon beast is similar to the beast coming up out of the sea, but the difference being is that if you look at these two beasts, they look similar, but the beast that came up out of the sea had 10 horns and it was 10 crowns on the 10 horns. But the difference with the other beast uh, of the dragon beast, it has seven heads and seven crowns on the seven heads. So on the dragon beast, the crowns are seven on the seven heads, but on the beast coming up out of the sea, it had 10, it has seven heads, but 10 horns, but the crowns were on the horns. Okay, so we are seeing that even though we say that the beast coming up out of the earth had been given power by the beast that come up out of the sea, but we see the beast coming up out of the sea resembles the beast uh, that was represented by the dragon. However, the dragon beast is described in two parts. 
his head and his tail, let us briefly examine these parts. So when we look at the 12th chapter of Revelation, the Bible tells us in the verse number four, it said, and, uh, well, it's, it describes that the head of the beast had seven heads and ten horns and seven horns upon the heads. And then the next part of the beast is described, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. So it talks about his tail, and it talks about his head. So the dragon beast was a great red beast having seven heads and ten horns and seven horns upon his heads, and the dragon's tail is what he's talked about. Okay, now the third beast that we are looking at is in Revelation 13. He said, and he beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spake as a dragon. Okay, so the third was the beast which came up out of the earth, according to Revelation 13, 11. This beast coming up out of the earth is being described as basically having two parts. It says the head of the beast had two horns like a lamb. In other words, he had two horns like a lamb. Okay. And he spoke as a dragon. So we see that his mouth and his head, head had two horns, his mouth spoke as a dragon. And then it talks about the beast like a lamb. Okay. So while he's, had a mouth speaking like a dragon and had a two horns. His body was like a lamb. It didn't say it was a lamb, but it like a lamb. So, which means it looked like it was starting off in the right direction of the Messiah because the Messiah is portrayed as a lamb, a humble, innocent creature. And so that's why the United States is like a lamb. It started off innocent. It started off as a nation that was going the right direction. But it was like a lamb, but we'll find out that it turned out to be a wolf. So when we look at Revelation 13, 18, it says, It having, here's wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, which is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred and three score and six. So as we peruse Revelation 13, 18, it would appear to be reasonable to see that the first beast is the one historically uh, over in Europe who brought about persecution to those who rejected their authority. It is this same beast who gives its authority to persecute in the future those who would defy their authority. However, the first beast gives his authority to the second beast to do so. See, the first beast, which was the dragon, gave his authority to the first beast coming up on your his authority. So ultimately, it is the first beast who is responsible for the mark of his name and his number, not the second beast and not the not 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 this not not the beast that came up out of the earth, nor the dragon beast, but it was the first beast that came up out of the sea. Now we know 
that the dragon is the one that gave him the idea, but the idea is coming from the beast coming up out of the uh, out of the sea, which was that first beast in Revelation 13. So ultimately, it is the first beast who is responsible for the mark of his name and his number. Therefore, we can conclude that if the first beast which came up out of the sea gave power to the second beast which came up out of the earth, then what are we basically looking at? Okay, let's find out what we're looking at. We identify the beast of the Roman Catholic Church. That's the beast. That's the empire. We identify the waters of which she came up out of as the old empire of Europe. And we identify the man with the number as the pope because he is the one that is over the Roman Catholic Church. He is over that empire. And we identify and we identify the man with the number as the pope, the head officer of the Roman Catholic hierarchy. He is the only person who takes on the title, the Vicar of Christ. The so-called Vicar of Christ is referred to as Vicarious Philly D. See, a Vicar, the Pope can carry this title either by wearing it or displaying it in his behavior. Now, a Vicar is one who stands in the place of our Messiah. He calls himself the Vicar of Christ. In other words, he say the Pope stands in the place of Christ on earth. Yeshua is our heavenly, uh, Yeshua is the son of Elohim. He is the one that is our Messiah or the Christ. So when they say that the Pope is the vicar of Christ, they are saying he stands in the place of the Son of God on earth. That's what they're saying. How can he do that? Even John the Baptist, as righteous as John the Baptist was when he was on the earth, when he saw Yeshua coming, he says about Yeshua, he said, he that cometh to me is greater than I am. He said, I'm not even worthy to bow down and to loose the latches that is on his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, John the Baptist was closer in righteousness than the Pope would be. So how can John not stand in his sandals, uh, stand in his place, and to be even worthy to unloose his sandals? And here the Pope is saying that I am worthy to stand in the place of the son of Elohim on earth, so I'm the vicar of Christ. Now, consequently, when we consider the entire cryptogram, which reads vicarious Philly D, interpretation is the one who stands in the place of the son of God. That's, that's, that's what vicarious Philly D means. Uh, it is from this title that we get the number of a man. Who is the man? The man is the Pope. And he carries out in his behavior or with the uh, uh, cryptogram, 
vicarious philidi. Okay, let's look at vicarious philidi. Now, the word vicarious, V-I-C-A-R-I-U-S. Now, when we look at the word vicarious, now, in the Latin, this is the Latin. The Romans used the Latin. And in Latin, the words that the Romans is using is vicarious. And if you notice that the, the, the last, next to the last letter is U, but they did not have a U. They used the V for U. So it would be, it would be V-I-C-A-R-I-D-S. Now, the Latin, the Latin uh, alpha, uh, alphabet not only carried the letters, but like Hebrew, it was uh, what we call uh, alphabetical numerical uh, language or alf alphabet numerical uh, alphabet. In other words, the alphabet re represented letters as well as numbers like Hebrew. Each Hebrew letter have an equivalent number that it represents. So when we look at the word vicarious, the V in vicarious represents five, the I represents one, the C represents 100, the A and the R have no numerical value, and the I represents one, and the V or the U that is a V is five, and when you add that up, you'll come out to 112. And then Philly, Philly means son. That's the Latin word for son. So thus far, we have vicarious fili, which means the one who stands in the place of the sun, okay? So when we look at fili, it is spelled F-I-L-I-I. -I. Now, the F has no numerical value, but the I has the value of one. The L in fili has the number 50, L means 50. And then you have an I, which means one, and another I, which means one. So when we look at the I, the L, we come out with a numerical value of 53. And then we have the word dia. Dia means God in Latin. Okay, if we have God, all right. The D in Latin would be equivalent to 500. The E has no numerical value, and the I in dear means one. So when you take the 500 and the one, you got 501. So when we look at the entire uh, cryptogram, vicarious fili D, what do we have? We have 112 for vicarious. We have 53 for fili, and we have 501 for Dia, which means God. And when we take the 112, the 53, and the 501, we have the total value of 666. Okay, so the only person that we know that has that title or exemplifies that type of power is the Pope. Now, however, there is another interpretation for the number 66. Okay, and we want to look at that interpretation, and I want you to think about it because it might have some credence. I think many of our scholars, when we read this, we automatically jump to the conclusion that 666 
is that number, and I'm not disputing that number, but I'm saying there are some other ways we can look at this text. Now, the Greek way, now, when we look at the Greeks, because now, you, we you remember we read in there that the body, the body of, of, of this beast in, uh, uh, that we are looking at in uh, the 13th chapter of, uh, of the... Uh, Book of Revelation, it speaks about, it says, the beast which I saw was like unto a leper. And we know the leper represented Alexander's empire, which was the Grecian empire. So, in other words, this body uh, had a lot of Greek influences in it. Okay, so when John saw it, he was saying a lot of the Greek influences will influence society. So in Greek, in Greek, the way that they added figures was somewhat different from the way that we do. In Greek, the number 12 is spoken of as a duodica. Duodica. Let me explain that. Duo means two, and dika means ten. And this is where we, this word dika is where we get our word decimal from. Decimal. And decimal means ten. Years ago, when you go to the library, you, you they used to have, they have, they have, they probably still have it, even though many people are on a computer now, and they don't have to go through the different catalogs as they used to, but they had the decimal system, and the decimal system is that you calculate things by 10. So when the Greeks had uh, a, a duka, it meant two and 10. Now, the way they, they, they would write it was, they would put duka, which means two, plus ten. Two plus ten. So when two numbers stand side by side, they were added together. So if you had two plus ten, then that would equal twelve. Because you are taking the two and the ten. And that equals twelve. You have du duo, which means two. And then you had Dika, which means 10. So when you take the 10 and put it with the 2, you would have 12. So in the first two sixes, they would equal 12. So you had 666, but the first two sixes, if you put them together, that would equal 12. Okay, so if that would equal 12, then the way they would add the last six then the last number, which is 6, they will say 6 times 10. See, you had 2 and, and 10. Now you have 6 times 10, or you would have 3 score or 60. So if you have 6 times 10, that is 60. So if the 12 is placed before 60, we have 1,260. This number is consistent with both Daniel and Revelation in dealing with the reign of the papacy from 538 to 1798, you have 1260 days, which a day stand for a year. It was from 568 to 1798 that that was the reign of the papacy in which they uh, was forcing their dogmas, their teachings upon individuals. And this is why many escape Europe to come to America to get the freedom to worship as they should. 
So when you look at 666, it could mean 1260. And this is the number that Daniel and Revelation has. And in a number of places in Revelation and Daniel, they would have 42 months, which was 1260 again. And then they would say times, times, and the dividing of times. Now, we know a time to be uh, 360 and a half of, and, and times, which would be 720, and a half a time, which would be 180. And when you add those figures together, they would have a hundred, uh, a 1260. And then they would also talk about the three and a half years. And if you add up the days in three and a half years, you still come out with 1260. So literally, when they pass the death decree in America, what we are looking at, it won't be no 1,200 years. It will be 1,200 literal days that the papacy will reign again through the Protestant churches who have used the government and the Protestant churches to be the image of the beast. And for 1,260 days, they will persecute Elohim's people, but Elohim's people will depend upon him to bring them through this particular period. So what we are seeing here is you got the name of the beast, and you have the beast, and you have the number of the beast. So when we look at that, we can see it points to the empire of the Roman Catholic Church that is started over in Europe that would end its power over here in, a, in America in trying to rule the world and come into a one-world government, a one-world economic system, a one-world uh, one military, a one-world education in order to try to take over the kingdom of Elohim by the mark of the beast, trying to replace the true Sabbath with the false Sabbath. So we'll conclude there. So you were stating that the C mean stands for people? Yeah, according to the Bible, uh, let me see. Uh, we can turn into the book of uh, Revelation. Uh, I didn't. I didn't actually bring out the text that we had uh, dealt with it uh, a number of times before, and uh, it, it was pointing out. Uh, you see, and you see. Um, yeah. Okay. All right, here in, in Revelation 17, 1, I mean 17, 15, it said, And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes, nations and tongues. So, yeah, uh, waters represent people. And at this time, the waters that represented the people were over in Europe. Okay. And you were saying also the beast represents Europe, which came out from the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the empire. See, uh, beast represents a kingdom or a king or an empire. Okay. Mm -hmm. so That's that what was beast the, was. Or, mm -hmm. That was the next one. So the horns, crowns, and heads symbolize empires or rulers. Yeah, empires or rulers or heads of states and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, uh, the number of the man that spoke up in Revelation... 13, 18, when it says uh, the number 600, three score, and six, that mm -hmm. is the number of a man and not Satan. Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of times in movies and TV shows, 
you'll see the five-pointed pentagram and 666 mm-hmm. as a representation of Satan. But is that correct or incorrect that it's a representation of a man and not Satan? Yeah, it, it's actually a man. Uh, uh, let, me, let me point out something. It, it's actually a man. And I think uh, that's a good question because, number one is, uh Bible said, let him that has wisdom, let me count the number of a man. He didn't say, let mm-hmm. me count the number of a, of a beast. He didn't say, let me count the number of the dragon. Mm-hmm. He said, it's the number of a man. Okay. okay. Now, maybe, you know, Satan suggested and put it in, into his mind, but he says the number of a man. Now, why is six a number of man? Let's, let's turn into the book of uh, Genesis. Okay. okay. Now, when we look in the book of Genesis in chapter one, no, 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 notice what it says here in Genesis chapter one. Uh, uh, the Bible says here, it says, uh, on the sixth day, it says, uh, on the sixth day, it talks about how Elohim, uh, had brought forth living creatures and, and they, and everything, uh, on on the sixth day. Now notice what it said. And, 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 and on the sixth day of creation, it says in verse twenty four. And Elohim said, "Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beasts of the earth after his kind." And it was so. And Elohim uh, and Elohim made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And Elohim saw that it was good. Now, notice he, he made all of the beasts. And then in verse 26, it says, And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image. Now, all this was done on the sixth day. Mm-hmm. So when we say it's the number of a man, see, man's number is six. He was mm-hmm. he, he was created on the sixth day. Okay. okay. Now, 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 if you notice the correlation here, that it says the beast was also created on, on that same sixth day, mm-hmm. the beast of the field. Okay. Okay. Now, isn't isn't it ironical that when you talk in prophecy that they say it's the number of a man mm-hmm. and this number of a man is also the number of a beast? Mm. Because, see, they both was created on the sixth day. But when we depart from Elohim's way of doing things, Elohim is saying, when you depart from my way, you become a beast. Mm. And so when you become wow. a beast, then your, your number is six. Wow. And so since your number is six and you a beast, then what I'm trying to do is to get you back to come back to my image and come out of the beastly image. But as long as you uh, go against my creation by putting the Sabbath on the first day of the week, mm-hmm. you're nothing but a beast because mm-hmm. y- your thinking is mixed mixed up. I gave you the seventh day to let you know that I created you. You you wasn't created a beast, but you can turn yourself into a beast by following erroneous teachings. So yes, he pointed out specifically it's not it's not the dragon, it's not uh, a literal beast, but it's a man. It's a man that has the number. It's a man. He points that out. It's a man. So it's incorrect that that it's Satan or even angel, but it's a man number of a man. Mm. Mm-hmm. He took the time to point that out. All right, and we have a question from a listener regarding today's study, too, and it reads, Don't the heads in Revelation 13, 1, 
refer to apostolate Protestantism and not kingdoms. I ask this because in Revelation 13, 3, it says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. This head we identify as the papacy. So if one head is a religious organization, wouldn't all the heads have to symbolize religious organizations? Well, well, what, what, what yeah, well, in a, in a way, uh, l- let me see. Let's just, let's do this. Re- read your question again. I'm going to try to take it piece by piece. Okay. It says, don't the heads in Revelation 13, 1 refer to apostate Protestant Protestantism and not kingdoms? That's the first question. Okay. Now let's, let's deal with that first part of the question. Now this is, this is not Protestants here uh, this in the first verse of Revelation 13 that does not deal with Protestants what that deal with is Roman Catholicism in this particular verse because that beast that came up was the Roman Empire and so the Roman Catholic Church is what came up out of Europe this the Protestants didn't come uh, uh, up and up until later, when, once this is developed, okay. Now, he, he, here's the point that we we need to look at is that when this when this was happening, then Protestants had not really gotten together until this was going on under Martin Luther about the 15th century. See, when Luther protested against the Catholic Church. That's when Protestants came into existence. But remember, over in Europe, when they were having this, this was this was taking place before Luther came along. Now we are, we understand that Pope Pius, uh, uh, I think it was John Paul, but I can get the particular Pope that came up later on. But this this is not describing the Protestants here, particularly. But now, if you wanna look at Luther as being a part of this, then we would have to say, uh, at what time in history did Luther come up? Mm-hmm. Because, see, you had the Walden Seas, and you had another group that was not even a part of Protestants, but they were persecuted uh, the around the Alpine Mountains and where, where many of the true followers of the Bible, they went into these mountains, but they were under persecution. So I don't see the Protestants in this part as much as when you look at Revelation chapter 13 and you start with verse number 11, that kind of brings, it it brings it into focus, even though it started, it started back in what you, what you were saying, but that, that first verse, I'm not, I'm not seeing that addressed in Protestants in that first verse, but as you read down into it, you can get into Protestantism, but it's strongly emphasized here in the United States because they were pulling they were pulling out of Europe. And many of the ones that pulled out of Europe, I don't know if they actually call themselves Protestants, but they felt that a Protestant was any religious body that protested. That's what when you get the word Protestant from, protest. 
And what were they protesting? Well, they were protesting against the dogmas of the Catholic Church. And Luther didn't write those theses or those statements against the Catholic Church until about 1500. And if you remember, uh, I think earlier this year or last year, that uh, even the Adventists came out and they said this was the 500 year of the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, it might have been a 500 year of the Protestant Reformation from the time that they protested, but even the Adventist churches doesn't even stop protesting. They don't even protest anymore. In other uh, religions, Presbyterian and Methodist, they are not protesting anymore, even though they, we are all Protestant churches, but nobody's protesting, really. They have accepted like this. So I don't see this first verse dealing with Protestant. Protestants in this first verse. I, I don't see it. Now, you may can enlighten me if you got some uh, more information, you give it to me and I'll look at it and see if there's some credence in it. Now, what's the other part of the question? Okay, I'll read the whole thing again because it all ties in. Okay. But it said, don't the heads in Revelation 13.1 refer to the apostate Protestantism and not kingdoms? I ask this because in Revelation 13, it says, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. This head mm -hmm. we identify as the papacy. So if one head is a relig religious organization, wouldn't all the heads have to symbolize religious organizations? Okay. Yeah, I see what you're going. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that may be true in that sense, but when, 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 when you say, but when, when you, when you put the Protestants in here, now, these heads, now, one of the things we have to understand about the seven heads, they didn't all rule at the same time. Some of them, they, they rule, and then another head began to rule. But it's showing that, they, that the entire beast had seven heads, which means it's taken in geographically and also uh, chronologically. It's taken in the time that the Catholics started and then to the time that other kingdoms came on the uh, on the stage of action. Okay, now when you talk about the beast uh, that was wounded, okay, that is one of the beasts. But remember, the beast that was wounded, that was a part of the papacy, and the papacy is not the Protestants. See, the Protestants is different altogether from 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 the papacy. The papacy is connected to the to the uh, to the Pope. The papacy is connected to the Roman Catholic Church because you remember that the papacy uh, come from the word, the root word, papa. See, papa was called father. This is why even today when people deal with Catholic priests and stuff, they say father. And even the pope is called the holy father because the Latin word for father is papa. And that's the word we develop papacy. So the papacy is not, not the Protestant bodies. Then now the papacy will give power to the Protestants' body, but that th those are two different en entities. You got the Protestants and you got the papacy. They are two different. Okay. Oh, we hope that answers the question. If not, please send us a return email and we'll try to answer. Yes. Yeah. Now, now what I would say in conjunction to the question now, the more uh -huh. we get in, get past verse eleven. We are, we, we are dealing with the Protestant bodies uh, as we get past 11. But the other ones, uh, the papacy, uh, is usually addressing up and above that. 
but like I said, if if you have some more that you can add to that, if we didn't answer, bring it back, and we'll we'll consider that. Because number one is whenever I teach, I'm also a learner. I can learn from those in whom I teach, and they can teach me something as well. So you okay. was, you were saying possibly after verse eleven that that could be talking about other religions and Protestant church and whatnot. But the first yeah, because, part before mm-hmm. is primarily dealing with the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, that's that's most of the papacy there. Okay. You, you follow, but see, uh, uh, when you deal with 17, when you deal with 538 to 1798, that covers a, a, whole, a whole gamut, mm-hmm. but usually when you look at verse 11 of it coming up out of the earth, those are the people who escaped, you know, or got out of, uh, of Europe because they didn't want to follow the religion of Rome. Mm-hmm. So when they came over here, they called themselves Protestants. So in the two horned beasts that they saw coming up in America was a political and a religious power that they felt that they could establish and get around uh, the church and state being, 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 uh, being together, they can have a separate state and worship as they so desire they want to worship. And I see more of the Protestants after verse 11, but I see more of the, uh, the uh, papacy before 11. Okay. All right. I think with that, we are here to our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. Well, today in today's uh, segment, let's talk about that. I want to talk about, we had talked about in a pre- couple of previous episodes, we talked about sex in regards to fornication, in regards to homosexuality. Well, what's becoming popular today is uh, people using sex toys, and as we continue, they have sex dolls, sex robots. So we want to kind of deal with that. Is it a sin to mess with these things or not? So if you have your Bibles, I want to just read one verse. If you don't, you can just follow me in Galatians 5, verse uh, 19. Again, that's Galatians 5, verse 19. And it reads, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lavishness. So, Pastor, my question is, with this verse... Be, could be applied to sex toys, robots, and masturbation. And are those things sinful or would those things be okay? You know, because it's not a human. Okay. Well, we can look at it from the, uh, no, 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 they're not a human. We can, but we can look at it from the st- standpoint of, uh, what Yeshua said when he was here on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he taught, he taught that uh, when you look at the Torah, many of the Jews in his day, they um, they looked at the scriptures, and when they looked at them, they were saying that when the Torah speaks about something, that what it's speaking about is the fact that this is what Elohim had given from the from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he says, you have heard that it's been said, thou should not commit adultery, okay? okay. He said, that's what you've heard. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and they were correct in what they what they had heard. Uh, you should not commit adultery. But he said, I'm going to magnify the law. I'm going to take it a little bit further. I'm going to show you what it, what it means. He says, he says, not only should you not commit adultery, he said, but he that looks upon a woman uh-huh. to commit adultery has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, here's what I want you to see or want us to see. Uh-huh. He is saying that even, even if you didn't commit the physical act, he said, even if you do that, he said, even if your mind is upon a woman to commit adultery with her, he said, you've already committed to, you already committed to sin. Because mm-hmm. you thought, you thought about uh, cohabitating with a woman, okay? You thought about it. Okay, so now, wouldn't that translate into the fact that if you never even touched a woman, and yet you thought about it and you commit adultery, wouldn't it be logical to draw the conclusion that if you had a sex toy and you thinking about committing sex with a sex toy, mm-hmm. that you actually got an object there? Now, if you don't touch a woman at all and have an object, it's adultery. It certainly would mean that if you had an object or a woman mm-hmm. in all of those sex toys, that would have to, that would have to be adultery too, because the purpose in which you got the sex toy was was to have a relationship, an adulterous relationship. So I would classify that as a transgression. So even though um, it's it's not a human, just for the fact of you thinking of it. And using it mm-hmm. for that purpose is still committing adultery. Now, adultery mm-hmm. is when you're, isn't committing adultery when you're married and you have sex out of marriage? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line of distinction between uh, adultery and fornication. Because uh-huh. I thought fornication was sex, uh, you having sex and you're not married. And I thought adultery was when you are married and you have sex out of marriage. Well, y'all, it, it could be, but uh, it's uh, in other words, even if you're not married, you have sex. It, it can still be an adulterous relationship. Uh-huh. But if you get technical, but if you're technical and you want to define the terms, uh, then when you deal with uh, adultery and then you deal with fornication, yeah, that can be a difference. Uh-huh. Okay, then what's the difference? Well, the difference is this: if a man is married to a, uh, is married to a woman. And he goes outside of his wedlock and have an affair with another woman. What makes it adultery? Well, I, I usually use a common illustration like this. In some countries, not all countries, in some countries, that if you sell olive oil, in some countries, you allow to have a percentage of another oil within the olive oil. And they mm-hmm. say that's not adulterated. Okay. But in some countries, if you have over a certain percentage of like olive oil and corn oil, they will say that oil is adulterated. But in actuality, whenever you mix something of two different kinds, that is adultery. Uh Because to put corn oil with olive oil, even though it's percentage-wise, may not be considered by law wrong, but it's still adulterated because you got two things. Okay, so let's look at adultery now. Adultery is, according to the Bible, 
is that when you have uh, 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 an affair with more than one woman, mm-hmm. okay, so that means that uh, when you have adultery, you have in something to come into the mix that shouldn't be there. If you're married to this woman and you have an affair outside of this woman, then the other woman that you're not married to, mm-hmm. you are producing an adulterous affair. Okay, let us take this a little further so we can understand. Now, it is true that Jacob had many wives and mm-hmm. he had handmaidens, but he was the only man that put his seed into all of them. And when Reuben laid with one of his wives, uh, not his wives, but one of his uh, handmaidens, I think it was Beulah, then he couldn't go into it anymore. Why? Because you got two seed there. You got two men and one woman. Mm-hmm. That's adultery. So when we look at adultery, what we're looking at is the fact that you're putting something into a relationship that shouldn't be there. Now, it'd be different if he was married to the two women, that's, but he's not. Okay, so that would be a doctor's fair because you got somebody in the mix that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, the other thing we're looking at is if you're married and you're using these uh, different kind of contraptions, that uh, what are you doing? Are you trying to replace your wife or have more than one wife? Because it's an adulterous affair. Because mm-hmm. you're using something in the mix that sh- shouldn't be in the marriage. You never walked down that aisle and said, I do to this robot, and this robot said, I do to you, or whatever you got. You're using artificial uh, means of stimulation that is an adulterous affair. Now, when you deal with fornication, uh, now fornication is uh, when you may not be married, but you have an affair, that's fornication. Matter of fact, is the word porno, where we get our word uh, fornication from. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we get. We put uh, a gra- graph on the end of uh, pornography. What is pornography? Porn is fornication that is graphic. In other words, you're making what we say a graphic display of fornication, which means that you're taking fornicational stuff and putting it in either writing or pictures. Mm-hmm. You got fornicating writings that people read novels of all kind of different sexual stuff. And then they also have pictures. And they were saying some years ago that even people in Congress, when they were not doing anything in Congress, they were looking at their computers. More of them was turning on pornography than a little bit. And these are our government <laughs> officials. So what we're looking at is, is that Fornication is to engage in sexual play, whether it's with another woman or it could be in writing or it can be in movies or it can be in still pictures of, uh, 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 of, of porno or, or, or fornic- fornication. Now, going back to what Yeshua said, he says, if you think on it, so when you're looking at it and when you're reading it, and when you are looking at pictures of it, then you are thinking of it, so it makes it a transgression, even in fornication. So if some people were saying, okay, it was a person who's a, who's a virgin, 
so technically, if they use these things, they're not really a virgin anymore. If they was trying to hold out to marriage. Well, well, I don't, I don't think it's addressing the the virginity of it. Uh, I see when you say, when you say a, a virgin, a virgin uh, could be looked upon as in, in at least two ways. Uh, uh, one one type of virgin is maybe a woman. She she is she may have had a relationship, uh-huh. okay, but the relationship she had uh, maybe with a with a husband. So when it speaks about a, a, a woman virgin, it may not necessarily mean she has never had a, a relationship. It may mean that they are speaking of this woman as a chaste woman. In other words, a woman uh, that is pure in the sense that she did not have a relationship uh, without, you know, beyond the relationship of the man that she is married to. So they they call that a version, even though she's had a relationship with the husband that she is with. And then the second version is a person who have never had any affair with any man. This is why uh, when the Bible speaks about Mary, that she was a virgin. Mm-hmm. Like some people say, well, she was a virgin, not because she uh, hadn't had a man, but because uh, she was faithful to the man. But I don't believe that because the Bible says the reason why Joseph wanted to put her away was because he thought that she was with another man. So that was the issue. So when we talk about virgin in that sense, we are talking not just because you are married and doing it legitimate. We are talking about actually you have not been touched by any man, and that makes you a, you a virgin. So what I'm saying is if that is true and that you are a virgin and you start taking these toys and stuff and doing what you are doing with it, you may not necessarily uh, break your virginity, but remember that in all situations of a, a sexual relationship, you you can copulate uh, outside of the, uh, the 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 genital organs of a woman, and and you still might uh, you, you know maintain your virginity, but you still have engaged in the fornication process. This is why. When when uh, uh when uh, uh Clinton when they when when Clinton was with Monica Lewinsky, he brought out a, a fact that I think a lot of people hadn't looked at what he was saying. He said, "I never touched that woman," you know, and they found out that it was oral sex. See, a lot of times it's still adultery, even with oral oral sex. It's a fornication. That let me put it that way. It's still a fornication. But what he was saying, if he didn't actually engage in it with the genital organs, that it was not wrong, or he was saying that they did not cohabitate because it went out with, with the sexual organs, it was more or less with, you know, uh, other parts of, of the body. But, but, but what I'm saying is fornication can still be fornication even if you do not break your virginity. Just like some people, after he had done it, uh, they were seeing in the statistics that more people in high, more students in high school was having oral sex than I think before they were reporting it because they were saying if Clinton could do it, we could do it. And so they may not have used the actually virginal organs or the genital organs, 
but they may have used manipulations in other ways that it was still fornication, even though the genital organs did not break their virginity. So the only time really uh, a person should have sex and whatnot is in the sanctity of marriage, correct? Yeah, well, well, the thing about marriage is it is it it uh it gives you according to the Bible the both the legal uh, right and also the personal right, mm-hmm. you know, to engage in sex, just like in the book of uh, Hebrews. It's uh, well, let's turn there. Let me see. In the book of Hebrews, it speaks to that particular point. Let me see if I can find that text. Yeah. Uh, da, da. All right. Okay. Now, see, marriage. Marriage was the original contract that Elohim had given. You know, in order to have to have sex. Mm-hmm. Let me see. All right. Let me see. I think. Let me see. Okay, yeah, in Hebrews chapter 13, and we look at verse number four, it said marriage is honorable in all, okay, and the bed undefiled, but a whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So here he is saying marriage is the only legal and personal grounds in which a person should have sex is in the marriage bond, is is in the marriage covenant. So then I know some people will probably say at this point, especially with, as we see more and more robotics become life, that is it wrong if they marry, claim and marry this robot and, you know, treat it like a spouse, a husband or a wife and whatnot. Would they still be adulterous and fornicating? Well, I think they can. I think they can reason it out. Uh, you know, adultery and fortification. But let's look at it from this standpoint. Uh, let's look at it from this standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you got a, uh, a a robot or something, you know, be a female robot or a masculine uh, robot, uh, they're still a robot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's have a thing. If Elohim's order is that it's a male and a female then we have to stop thinking. If he says it's wrong for two females or two males to marry, uh-huh. then if you got something that is neither male nor female, uh, one, one would have to think that if you got an object, then that certainly would even be, to me, that would be below even having sex uh, with a harlot or a prostitute. Because at least you got a, a person, but you, you don't even have a person here. Mm. Okay, now, so if you don't have a person and you come into adultery uh, with with the thing, then it would suggest very strong, strongly to me is that you have become vain, and and and, and you'll you well, I think we dealt with this some time ago. Uh, that Paul, I think he speaks speaks about this in the books book of Romans. Uh-huh. Okay, let me see. Okay, okay, yeah, here in Romans chapter chapter 1 and verse 25, it says, Who changed the truth of Elohim into a lie 
In other words, the truth is that you need a woman or a woman need a man, and you got you got a thing now, then you don't turn this word into a lie. You're gonna take a take a thing and replace what Elohim has put there? And then he says, and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So I think something is uh, dreadfully wrong when these devices are being used to replace a woman. Uh-huh. And it, it seems, what, what seems so what seems so strange to me is uh, uh, you got men want to be women. OK, you got uh-huh. men want to be women. Okay. Now, now some some women who are now, you know, they want to be men. You know, they want to be men. But I'm saying you got more women than you got men. And you may tell me you can't form a, a relationship with another human being, and you you get an object, and you got so many women now that they outnumber the men. And then you turn to an object, and then men are turning to men, and this just lead a woman out there and. She, and, uh, and and maybe she'll have to turn too because she's saying if I can't get what I want, then I, I'm gonna turn this way. But, but it just seems like go ahead. Well, that that's the other uh, end of it. Suppose a woman, because there's these devices for women, uh, she can't find a man. So in order to avoid the devices, should she maybe enter a polygamy relationship? In all. Well, I, I can't say she should because there's many, been many women who are spiritually minded mm-hmm. that they don't allow these carnal things to direct them to doing things that was detrimental or things that are, are not fitting for people who call themselves followers of the Messiah. Now, even the Messiah himself was not uh, cohabitating with a lot of women, which means that if we follow him, then we okay. Even Apostle Paul says that if you can't, if you have to burn, go and get married. Are your social relationships of such a nature that you have to go out and get a robot and all of, are you so antisocial that you cannot make uh, what I might say a relationship with the person of the opposite sex? Uh-huh. And a lot of people, they might not even desire to be of the opposite sex. They just want to know that they have other human beings because the Bible says it's not good that man be alone, but he didn't say it's not good that man has to marry. There are a lot of people married to their profession, but they got all kind of people in their, they got a lot of people in their profession that they are not lonely, even though they're not married, you know? So to resort to things that are of an adulterous relationship of a robot and a woman using all these sexual toys to imitate a man, and even in, uh, in, 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 in lesbianism, a lot of times, even when two women are together, they still using male toys yeah. of what comes from a man to imitate what a man has in order to get satisfaction. So we must say when ourselves, these are adulterous relationships. And if you're that lonely, there's a lot of things to deal with loneliness other than these sexual tools. True. True think that's a excellent point to end on. So, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast? Well, beloved Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can be able to come again. Thank you for each person who listened. Thank you for my hosts. And thank you most of all, O Heavenly Father, that we have been able to give some contributions, Lord, to the word that would help us to be most stabilized in the things that we believe. 
And as we consider the relationships that we have, oh, Heavenly Father, help the first relationship, it might be with you, that we may be married to you, and that with that you can give us all of the spiritual powers that we need in order to hold ourselves in subjection and to be able to exemplify the things that would exemplify you. And we ask, oh, Father, that as we study the mark, the name and the number, oh, Heavenly Father, that we can be able to see in the future where we are going. And the future of where we are going is that eventually it will be made into law that we have to worship a certain way on a certain day and to do things in such a way, oh, Heavenly Father, that will be contrary to your will. Help us to fortify our minds with the truth and to have the stand power to be able to accomplish in us the things, Lord, that are right and pure. That when Messiah does come and when the nation, oh, Heavenly Father, is going against all of your principles, that we'll be able to stand. And as we stand, oh, Heavenly Father, we can be able to follow the blueprint of the scriptures to know that these things are not only prophesied, but they will take place in the future. And when the death decree goes forth in the land of what we call the land of the free and the home of the braves, that we'll have to worship a certain way. And if we do not, we'll have the death decree. Help us to know, oh, Heavenly Father, that we're on the right track. And when we look at the Daniel and the revelations and what we can see, is that Daniel, in the Hebrew word, is when they came into Babylon, it was a death decree for them in the fiery furnace and the lion's den. And some of us, we'll have to be getting capital punishment or some type of punishment, oh, Heavenly Father, that is of a death decree. Sometimes you'll deliver us and sometimes we not. We, we won't be delivered of it, but help us to be true to the cause. And when thou dost come, the death that they will have given us will be only temporarily, but they will get eternal death. And we have to make the exchange of whether we want the temporary life and the long-term effects, or we, we want the, the temporary existence of going against your will, but have a long-term death. So help us to be true, O Heavenly Father, that we may choose life over death. And when we die in this world at the hand of the perpetrator, and come forth, O Heaven Father, to a true eternal life. It will be well worth it. So bless us as we study. Bless us as we go through these last days. And when thou dost come, may we be, have so lived that you could give us the eternal existence with you and your Father. So bless us as we go through a, another Sabbath and as we come into another week that we may be refreshed to do the chores and the things that you have given us. And when the end comes, we can be ready to reach you in peace. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Again, uh, we are going to take a little break. Uh, we shouldn't be gone the whole month of June, hopefully, if everything works out. We hope to be back uh, before or by at least June the 25th. So just make a note of that. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah Eloheka, he is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards his covenant and the mercy with them that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom. <laughs>